Are you obsessed with Los Angeles? Head over heels in love with the City of Angels? Well, this is the podcast for you. At Lifehacks LA, we hack the best in arts, eats, and activities in Los Angeles. So join us and become an LA hacker. How's it going, everyone? This is your host, Stefan, and welcome to another episode of the Life Hacks LA podcast, where we hack the best of Los Angeles. Okay, we have a great guest today. His name is Evan, and he runs an account called LA in a Minute. Now, Evan does something really cool with his LA in a Minute brand. He will pick one fascinating subject on Los Angeles, like a historical location, or maybe an iconic food brand, or some place that has dirty, dark secrets, And he will do an absolute deep dive on it, sharing all the incredible history in just two or three minutes. If you love LA and you love LA history, it's a really cool, easy, and entertaining way to learn about these things that you may have heard of, but you don't know all the details, or really fascinating stuff you have no idea about. In every corner of Los Angeles, there are incredible stories and history to be told, and Evan is a man on a mission to uncover it all and share it with us on LA in a minute. In this interview, he's gonna talk about how his account got started, his thoughts on why it has resonated with people and blown up so quickly, his love of Los Angeles, and he's even gonna share a couple of his favorite LA in a minute stories with us right here in this conversation. All right guys, enjoy this interview with Evan from LA in a minute, and when it's over, make sure to come back because as this episode's hack, I'm going to do my best Evan impersonation. I'm going to do my own LA in a minute. All right. Talk to you again on the other side and enjoy this interview with Evan. What's up, LA hackers? Please welcome our guest today, Evan from LA in a minute. What's going on, my man? Hello. Hello, Stefan. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. I'm doing fantastic, man. I uh, This is really great to have you on. Uh, I've been following your account. It just seems to have exploded out of nowhere. And uh, it's a really awesome account with some great facts. But before we jump into LA in a minute, just wanted to find out a little bit more about you. Um, where are you from originally? And if you're from LA, what was your childhood like in Los Angeles? You know, I am indeed an LA native and the son of an LA native. My dad was born in Glendale. Uh, mom's actually a transplant from Philadelphia, but I was always raised with a, an extreme LA pride, to tell you the truth. I was born in what was at the time called Sepulveda. It's now known as North Hills, basically the geographic center of the San Fernando Valley. Had a good childhood. One thing I kind of realized in retrospect is that that area is extremely diverse, as is most of Los Angeles, to be honest with you. And I think that sort of is one thing that imparted upon me like an appreciation for Los Angeles, especially not to say compared to anywhere else, but it just gives you a difference of experience and and the variety, whether it's just different people or even cuisine and just having that kind of exposure sort of helps nurture my, my love of Los Angeles. And, you know, from there, went to UCLA. The only schools I applied to were UCLA and USC. I, again, like definitely an LA nerd. Went to UCLA, did live in Washington, DC for a year, lived in Seattle for a year, but always love coming back here. And, you know, it's funny growing up and even through into my adulthood, whenever there's a, uh, you know, a pro athlete or a celebrity from, from LA, I always pointed out to my friends, uh, just definitely a, an extreme sort of LA pride. And I guess that 
kind of was the uh, subconscious transition into my uh, LA in a minute. Yeah, we love that LA pride. Why don't you tell us about LA in a minute? Like I said, that's how I discovered you was on your account. It just seemed to explode out of nowhere. But how did uh, it get started and, and where did it come from? Can you give us a little bit of the backstory? Absolutely. It's kind of funny. My wife has uh, cousins, younger cousins that we're, we're fairly close with. They're 21 and 16. And for the last, you know, whenever we see them in family gatherings, Easter, Christmas, whatever it may be, I'm always kind of just hitting them up a little bit like, hey, what are the kids into these days? Like half joking, but, you know, kind of kind of want to keep my quote unquote finger on the pulse. And, you know, it was Instagrams, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden they're telling me about TikTok. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> you know, all I know about TikTok is these dances and I do not need another social media, like have fun with that. And they're like, no, no, no. Kids get their news from TikTok. And I'm like, uh, sounds like a terrible idea. Saw what happened uh, when people start getting their news from Facebook. This just mm -hmm. seems like it's going to be an even worse platform. You know what? News while they're dancing. And then one of them showed me this feed where a lady was reading news under her desk. And I thought it was silly. But at the same time, like it kind of connected where I'm like, you know, if that's what it takes to get people to pay attention to news. Cause I'm, I'm always very aware of current events. I, I enjoy just following what's going on. I think it's important. And simultaneously, you know, my son, he turned eight years old. He's really into screen time, you know, and it's always that constant battle. Like, Oh, you don't have so much screen time left. No, I'm not getting off the screen. And coincidentally he had discovered TikTok through YouTube. And I finally, you know, instead of just having the debate with him, I was like, look, you can watch screen tomorrow if you tell me something that you learned today. I don't care what it is. It could be science. It could be history. It could be a fact about cars. Like just I wanted to make it somewhat of a positive, productive experience instead of just watching crap. And then taking that corresponding to, to my wife's cousins, you know, telling me that people are reading news on TikTok. I was like, you know what? I'm this guy that gets the LA times every day, still get the physical LA times. My wife always kind of jokes like that. I'm her news source. Cause I'm, I'm always running around talking about what happened in the news and specifically LA news. And I was like, at the beginning of the year, 2022, my grandma's birthday was January 3rd. You know, she's, she's passed away, but kind of an homage to her. I was going to just launch a feed where I was going to read not read the newspaper, but figure out a minute's worth of today's Los Angeles news and sort of present that and kind of use that as a vehicle for my son to be like, hey, you want to learn something? Tell me what happened. It's news. It's L.A. It's local. And I found it relevant. And so my initial L.A. in a minutes were just me with the L.A. Times being like, hey, here are three stories about L.A that I think are pretty relevant. And hopefully, you know, you people that are interested in Los Angeles or live in Los Angeles, know there's not a lot of newspaper readers going on. The source of news are so varied and, and not super credible these days. So maybe I could provide a benefit for some people. And from there, develop like TikTok's algorithm. I have to hand it to them. They do a good job amplifying people. And I was able to get, you know, a thousand views here, a couple thousand views there. And 
you know, that's intoxicating in a way. I mean, social media, they, they knew it from the days of MySpace, Facebook, you know, it triggers that, that dopamine and serotonin in your brain. Hey, I'm getting views. I'm getting likes. I'm getting responses, you know, and, and I feel like, okay, I was doing something productive. You know, in the past I had had a blog, I'd had a newsletter and I'm like, you know, this, this feels like a positive, productive thing that I'm putting out there. My son was watching and he's like, dad, I like your TikToks. So I was like, <laughs> you know, that, that was yeah. redeeming. And then simultaneously, what really caused it to, I guess, take off a little bit is I'm always doing reading. And most of my, a lot of my reading is about LA, history of LA, it's quirky stuff about LA. And at the time I was reading a book by George Geary called LA's Legendary Restaurants. And I just noticed, you know, all these places are known outside of LA one thing led to another. I decided to just put together a different kind of TikTok, different kind of LA in a minute, the LA's oldest fast food chains. And that sort of, uh, you know, it had like a hundred thousand views or something within a couple of days. And from there I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to mix in some news, but do some LA history. And then it sort of kind of took a, took a life of its own from there. And, you know, luckily people have been really positive about it. One thing I'm impressed with TikTok as opposed to, other social media is that it's a lot of positivity. I mean, again, you always have trolls. That's just the nature of humanity. But I feel like on Twitter, especially, or Instagram or Facebook, even your friends, you know, there's a lot of debate and a lot of like, that's not true. That's not, but TikTok is just overwhelmingly positive. And it's at least in my experience and people are very encouraging. And as the numbers kept growing, I'm like, you know, I should sort of narrow this focus, figure out, you know, what I really want to do with it. And that, that became ultimately where LA in a minute is going. Yeah, that's really amazing. I didn't realize that you just started at the beginning of this year. So that's only about five or six months. So it's really resonated with people. I mean, you've got over 50,000 followers on TikTok, over 6 million views on your videos. You've got almost 5,000 followers on Instagram. Everybody knows nowadays it's super hard to get a following. So that's pretty incredible that you just started at the beginning of this year. I appreciate it. And, and like, honestly, I've always been somebody kind of obsessed with, with productivity and, and trying to be positive. And I think just like, I don't want to say my motto, but I always kind of come to, back to this. I just want to shine a positive light on LA. I mean, I know there's so much, especially recently, ne negativity, homeless, crime, whatever your political leanings are, you know, certain stuff happened, COVID, whatever the case may be. But we're hearing this great, amazing, quirky, interesting, fun city that has this reputation, whatever it may be, uh, nationally, internationally. And, you know, sometimes, oh, LA doesn't have culture. Or LA has no history. And I'm like, no, no, no. It has a ton of both. We're just a different kind of place. And you need to need to look for it. You need to look at it through the right kind of lens. And that's sort of, um, again, just I feel that people, especially LA natives or LA residents, have kind of appreciated that because you live here. I mean, you, I'm talking to uh, Life Hacks LA, you know I mean? You, you live here, you love it. And you know that it's just a different kind of vibe. And there's so much, yes, there's, there's a, t nobody likes traffic and nobody likes the smog. And in the Valley, it's 110 degrees in the summer. I get all that, but you know what? The positives outweigh it. And for me, I, I've traveled a lot through business and, and recreation. Every single time I come back to LA, I, I imagine, you know, for me, I'll fly back into Burbank and you get off the airplane and you're actually outside. 
And I just look around, you see the mountains and I'm like, damn, I love this place, man. And, yeah. and kind of just want to share that love. And, and, you know, people have, have really responded to that. So, and if I can, I, I, I never looked at it as being, I'm educating people. I, I sort of, you know, I'm not qualified. I wasn't trained to, I'm not a historian or anything like that, but I'm pretty good at doing some research. I feel that, you know, I can check facts and, and counter check and sort of, feel confident that anything I say isn't BS or not too outlandish that it, it could be a verified fact. So if people are sort of learning in the meantime about the city that they love and every little video can increase that, that love of Los Angeles by 1%, then so be it. Then my work here is done for the day. Yeah. I really appreciate what you said there. We're going to go into how you make the videos. Cause I'm very curious about that because they're, you know, very well researched and um, very thorough with the history, but I do want to piggyback on what you said about, um, you know, appreciation for Los Angeles. I'm kind of on the same wavelength. You know, whenever you post something um, like some spectacular thing that LA has to offer, there's always someone who jumps in there and goes, oh, where's the homeless people? Oh, what about the traffic or whatever? And, you know, to me, it's just like, okay, if you want to get your news, uh, go somewhere else. This isn't what this account is about. You know, two things can be true. LA can have amazing things to do and they can have problems just like every other city, but this isn't the place for that. You know what I mean? Like literally Absolutely. the purpose of my account is to highlight what you want to do and what you want to enjoy in Los Angeles. So I truly appreciate that about your account as well, because like you said, so many people bash LA, especially people who aren't even familiar with Los Angeles, never even been here and they constantly bash it, you know? I love that. Well, you brought up such a great point because when I, and look, you're totally right. Every post, there's going to be a few comments. They're like, oh yeah, the trash and the homeless and Gavin Newsom, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And, and then you look and you're like, this person's from Boston or this person's from Texas or this person. And I'm like, okay, buddy. Like, you know, and, and it's always the, you know, I don't know if you have children, but it's kind of one of those things that you try to instill in your children. If somebody's making fun of you, it's probably because they're jealous, you know, and you know, that might not necessarily always be the case, but there's definitely a high envy uh, level of, of Los Angeles from afar, you know what oh, I mean? Definitely. So it, and on social feel- media as well. Like um, I always tell people like, I don't spend time and I don't think many people in LA spend time thinking about other cities. <laughs> so it's gotta be a jealousy thing. Yes. Cause I don't sit around going, Oh, I can't stand this about Texas and this about Texas. I just, when I'm there, I I enjoy the city. You know what I mean? But people seem to really always have an opinion when it comes to Los Angeles. And like you said, some of that's got to be tied to a little bit of jealousy. You know? What a great comment that I couldn't agree with that more because you're totally right. Because again, LA and one of the things that I love is I feel like we have elements of everywhere so intertwined in everything that we do. And it, it is really I mean, again, not to be a cliche, but it is like a true melting pot from not just the United States, but the entire world. And I don't know if that lends itself to to your comment about why people always have L.A. on the brain if they're not from here. But that's why we are fulfilled and and proud of our city. Great. Yeah, we're definitely on the same page there. But let's go back into your videos because, um, you know, they've only been around five months, your account, like you said, five or six months. It's really, really caught on. And I think part of it is because of the style that you're able to do it in this TikTok format, but it's still very well researched and very thorough and very entertaining. So I wanted to get a little bit of uh, insight into the process you go through because I know how hard it is to create content. In fact, a lot of the content I have is pretty simple compared to yours when it comes to research. I mean, it's it's basically just posting things to do, but you're going down deep in the history of some of these iconic LA locations. So I wanted to ask you about the process. like. How do you decide what video to make 
And how long after deciding which video to make does it actually take to research, make, and post that video? Man, great questions. And I'll be honest, I've, I've been sort of asked in the comments, like, hey, do a video on how you make these. And I'm like, well, if you really want to be bored for three minutes, I'll, I'll do a video on it because the process is definitely not glamorous. But I'll, I'll try to run you through. So initially, LA, LA process in a minute, <laughs> LA minute process in a minute. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So initially, it was sort of haphazard where I'd be like, all right, where actually it's still to this day is somewhat haphazard in the sense that I figure out where am I going to be um, on Saturday? And, you know, in a certain case, like I'll be in this part of town. So let's look at three things that are like historic. Can I film the intro at three different places, right? Let's say it's like Hollywood. I'll do Hollywood Walk of Fame, Hollywood Sign, and maybe the um, the Hollywood Bowl, right? And just to get the intros, to have those stored in the drafts, and then to figure out what the timeline is going to be in a quote-unquote editorial calendar, if you will, even though I wish I was that formalized because that would actually help me organize a lot better. But I, I want to have as many intros as I can completed. And I try to be efficient when I go to different, because again, you know, in LA, you're driving all the time. You're in all parts of the city. Sometimes you're in the South Bay. Sometimes you're in San Gabriel Valley. Sometimes you're in the uh, San Fernando Valley. Sometimes um, you're in downtown. Sometimes you need, so I try to figure out if you where if I'm going somewhere and I'm going to have at least an hour, two hours to drive, film some intros. Other times it'll be specifically like, all right, today I'm going to talk about In-N-Out or Tommy's or a specific, you know, legendary venue, go there and I'll get really excited. I want to complete that one today, uh, you know, that day, because I know I want to run it next week. But the process is like this, right? So let's say we're doing the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, I'll go and film that intro, get back, figure out like a general bullet point, like a, a, a general skeleton of what I want to talk about. Then I kind of draw on the research. Obviously, look, let's call it what it is. Wikipedia is the first and most primary resource. That gives me the structure. From there, there's usually like a company website or an organizational website. That's a little too PRE for my standpoint generally, but there's always good information. There's some tidbits I can glean from there, but then the deep dive commences. Now I'll just do... Honestly, Hollywood Walk of Fame history and inevitably whatever I'm trying to research, somebody's written blogs on it. Somebody's written news articles on it. Um, there's always good information. But then before you know it, you have 25 tabs open and you're like, OK, this is I'm not trying to do a research paper here. But I actually had a commenter last week be like, you do a research paper every day, man. That's so much yeah. work. And I was like, kind of it's like taking a research paper and distilling that into like one page, I guess, if you will. So I try to get all the information. Sometimes it's robust and super long. Sometimes I'm like, okay, this will be about a minute, two minutes. That's about where I want it. A lot of the more difficult, I recently did one on Boyle Heights, which I didn't realize. I knew it was like a complex community, but I didn't realize the, the depth of the history. Just for instance, with Boyle Heights, it was one of the first black communities in Los Angeles. Then it became a strong Japanese community. And then unfortunately due to internment, you know, the Japanese were forced to leave. It became a strong Jewish community. And now to this day, it's a huge Latino community. And those transitions are not minor because why did they occur in the first place? And then why did the other communities leave? And before I knew it, I'm like, dude, this is going to be like a 15 minute segment. How do you, I need to figure out 
what are the important parts? And, and it's not just important because like you said, entertainment is part of it. I'm not an entertainer, but I know you can't just be like, and then in 1932, this happened. And then in 1937, this happened. Yeah, you don't want to sound like Walter Cronkite with today's uh, audience. So you do a good job of making it entertaining while being informative, you know? Yeah, so I try to cover, look, number one, what's most important? Number two, what's most interesting? And a lot of times those dovetail and go hand in hand. Sometimes I got to fit them in. And then just so at that point, I edit. So finally, get the script down, take that into a bullet point kind of a, a pretty specific script. I don't want to say I read word for word, but it does help, especially knowing that I have a time limit on, on how long the videos can be. So I try to write that script. Now, based on the script, here goes the second layer of the research. Now I need to get images that match everything. Sometimes this is fruitful and fun and really like, oh my God, I can't wait for this shot to come up because this image is just creative and unique. Again, I don't want basic PR pictures. I don't need something that from Getty or something that's on the website. I want unique stuff that people hopefully haven't seen. But a lot of times, especially with the older, more historic early 20th century or pre 20th century, there really are no images. So I need to dig and I need to really kind of be creative with my searches to find the images that match the narrative because I can talk, but to your point, when younger people or anybody's watching, if I'm talking for 30 seconds and the image hasn't changed, they kind of tune out, even if it is interesting. So I have to have enough images to match the narrative. So I go into that. Now, sometimes what I've been doing recently and some organizations are great about this, others not so much, is I will contact, let's say Pink's Hot Dogs was one that I contacted the CEO because I just couldn't find any really good pictures, but I find found pictures of their early history and I found recent pictures. I couldn't find anything in between like 1950 and 2000 that was noteworthy. So I just emailed the CEO who was the son, grandson of the founder. And I was like, Hey, I'm doing this piece for Ellie in a minute. It's just like a TikTok thing. You know, I know I'm not a news reporter, but if you wouldn't mind helping out or contributing, and sure enough, he gives me a call. He's like, whatever you need. He's like, I have these old photos from the family archive. He's like, I don't even know if these have been published. So a lot of times that's super helpful. We spoke for like 45 minutes. He gave me some other tidbits that ended up being like really good anecdotes for the story. So that helps a lot. Portos invited me in. They said, let's do a tour, meet with the daughter of the founder. Here's oh the family picture. Yeah. So that's like super, super helpful um, in kind of completing the story and connecting the dots. Other times they don't write back. Other times it's just, you know, I'm sort of on my own kind of filling that in. But then, so finally, if I get, when I get the photos, match them up, record the video, edit it down into the right, right length, have to redo a couple clips because I'm typically always running long. So I got to figure out which one I can eliminate or which ones I need to reshoot. And then lastly, finally, do the captions, which is a little bit more annoying than it sounds, even though TikTok does like have an auto caption feature. It's probably 80% accurate. So I end up rewriting 20% of that. Do the hashtags in the description, do the like header shot, you know, history, brief history of Portos or whatever the case may be, and then save the draft and then figure out what days I want to run stuff. I still really haven't figured out the best calendar. I personally like posting in the morning. I don't know if that's the best time to do it because mm. I feel like most people probably do it in the recreational time in the afternoon, but you know, I get really excited. I get up early yeah. in the morning. So and you then, post almost every day? 
I try to post at least five days a week, sometimes wow. six. Yeah, that's that's because that's just, I'm exhausted just listening to that whole process. That's such a lot of that's so much work. Um, I can give you a little bit of advice as far as schedule because you know I've please. had my Instagram for five years, and the first three years I posted every single day. Now it's nowhere near the amount of work you just described, but. I used to think about that a lot too and try to time when the most people um, look at it or whatever. Yeah. And what I realized was people who do a lot of content like we do, like I post yeah. almost every day too, you do, you want to pick what's most convenient for you because the most important thing is consistency, right? Yeah. Because most people will give up after a certain amount of time. So I just decided that this time is the most convenient for me. So this is what I'm going to post every day. You know what Dude, I mean? That's honestly, thank you for saying that because I've even done the research. Well, quote unquote, the research best times to post on TikTok. Best time. And it's always the opposite of what I do, where it's like post in the evening when you're, you when your subscribers are, um, you know, on their phones or like, I hear Saturday morning and then sometimes I'm like, you read Saturday is the worst time to post. And I'm like, Oh my God. So I, yeah. I don't know. So I'm, I'm doing what I do. And like you said, most convenient for me, I know I'm not like getting a million views a post, which obviously would be like a dream someday, but right now it's good. It's, it's keeping the, the growth coming and I just don't want to do any wholesale changes, but that's good to hear most convenient for me. And, and when I prefer it, you know what I mean? And so far yeah. getting good feedback and maybe, maybe someday there'll be a real science to it. But right now it's just, you know, I try to, on a, from a loose standpoint, do like a couple historicals per week, one food, one per week, one quirky one per week, and then one miscellaneous, like is, is kind of the way I, I sort of do it. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job with what you're doing. And I think you kind of train your audience after a while. Like I, I usually <laughs> post between 11 and one. So okay. I've been doing it consistently for so long that every once in a while when I post earlier than that or later than that, it gets way less engagement because people are used to seeing it at that certain time. So I think you're good there. Uh, so I want to get into another question. You had mentioned um, you started the account partially because you were um, trying to get your son uh, educated with some of this stuff. And we were talking about how you know, this quick form video, people have shorter attention spans. Yeah, I, I think we're all kind of trained that way now, but especially yes. kids who've grown up with social media and a cell phone, they really adapt well to like this short form edutainment, um, like, you know, you know, education and entertainment, giving us information really quickly. So what are your thoughts on your style of videos and how they resonate with uh, specifically with younger people? And also, do you see this as something that they should adopt or test in mainstream education based on what you've seen? What a good question. So number one, it's kind of funny. My wife slash my, the aforementioned younger cousins used to sort of make fun of me at the beginning when it started getting a little bit of a following. They're like, you have to have the the audience that skews the oldest of anybody on TikTok. Every time I see your, your commenters, it's like, I remember that from the 50s. And they're like, I didn't even know all these quote unquote old people were on TikTok. Yeah. However, and, and they'll look, I, I am thankful and somewhat surprised that there are, you know, people my age and older that are on TikTok that enjoy the content. It's definitely the average age has come down a little bit. And I see comments now like, I learned more from you than I learned in my social studies class this whole year, you know, things like that. And like, you should work for LAUSD and stuff like that, which is cool, which is kind of a testament to 
the shorter attention spans, people's appetite for not wanting to sit through lectures, for being educated, for everything. I mean, it's it's to your point, even when you have business calls or whatever it is, it's always like, let's get to the point now. Let's just hear what it is. And like, nobody wants to be held captive to a specific um, in, in stream of, of news or information, even if it is interesting, you know what I mean? Like perfect example. And, and tough to say, I'm a baseball fan. I'm a huge baseball fan, but going to a game is like a four or five hour com- commitment, including the drive. And then trying to take my son to a game who loves baseball is a really good baseball player in his own right. He can't sit still for more than an inning. And it's, it's kind of a testament to, you know, get to your point quick, make it moderately entertaining, make it accurate. And I I think ultimately like accuracy is something I really try to pride myself on. You know, people have kind of contacted me about like certain mistakes and that's important to me. I don't take it. I take offense to it. I go back, I check my source. I know what all my sources are. Sometimes I'm wrong. I'll put a correction and I'll pin it on the video, but I think it's important to be accurate. I do think it's important to deliver information in a pretty quick draw kind of manner because you just, that's just the nature of the world, whether it's, you know, TV, streaming, cell phones, social media, nobody has, we all have time, but nobody has time these days. I can't speak for an approach in mainstream education. I know it probably would be received a lot better by students, but how can you change the entire infrastructure of elementary school, high school, college to be like, Hey, you know, you're a sociology 101 lecture. Well, it's only going to be three minutes today. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's, but yes, I, I do feel that like there's, there'd be a positive response if you were able to package and uh, deliver the information more rapid fire and maybe with a little, little bit of entertainment as well. Yeah. Cause just based on what my brain has been trained to do over the last five years of social media, it's hard for me to imagine going back to college, like what I remember college and sitting through like an hour boring lecture. I mean, it was tough enough back then, but now our brains are so triggered to just give me the information quick. Like you were saying, my friend do a night school and he has a three-hour lecture twice a week and i'm like oh my god i i can't fathom doing almost sitting anywhere for three hours now so yeah to your point all right so let's get back into your video so as someone who's kind of an la history nerd like me i mean i i really love them and one of the things i love about them is that there's such a wide variety uh you you do different types of videos one of my favorites is the the dark history like the murder mysteries and scandals that you've done I wanted to see if you could do just like a couple examples, like two or three minute videos so people have an idea of what we're talking about. And maybe the first one we'll start with um, like L.A. murder mysteries or scandals. Like to discuss one of them? And like like just uh, pick out an example. I mean, there's been so many. There's the Jake Griffith uh, scandal. There's the Haney family, oh, the Mansons, the OJ trial, Cecil Hotels, Anku chicken murders, which is a great one you did. So I thought maybe we could just talk about one of those. Um, maybe sure. a past video you've done that specifically has to do with like an L.A. historical scandal. I'll, I'll tell you one that's interesting to me, not just because of the content, but because of something that actually happened while I was filming it, was the Wonderland murders. And now for those that aren't familiar, Wonderland was memorialized in both Boogie Nights with Mark Wahlberg, who played uh, the adult film actor John Holmes. And though that film wasn't necessarily about the murders, it did feature pretty prominently. And then there was actually a movie called Wonderland featuring Val Kilmer, that was all about the murders and John Holmes, kind of a John Holmes biopic. But those are really interesting in the sense that I'm a believer in karma. At first, I was a little hesitant to kind of 
put that out there because going to my earlier note, you know, shine a positive light on the city of LA. It's like, do I really want to be like, oh, all these murders? Because again, you could do the Menendez brothers. You could do OJ. I mean, uh, Night Stalker. It's really, unfortunately, kind of a pretty substantial uh, history of Los Angeles. But going back to Wonderland, the Wonderland gang was the biggest distributor of cocaine in Los Angeles in the 1970s and early 80s. In addition to their drug dealing ways, they were also criminals, you know, I mean, as gangs tend to be. So one of their main drug buyers was a uh, promoter, big time club promoter at the time. I believe his name is Eddie Nash. And they sent some henchmen, which may or may not have included John Holmes at the time because he ran with the Wonderland people. He wasn't in the gang, but he was a drug doing person. I don't want to call him an addict because I'm not sure. So and he knew this Eddie Nash because he's a promoter and John Holmes was fairly mainstream, mainstream underground at the time in, the, in that scene. Anyway, they sent a group of henchmen to go rob him at his house. And it was a home invasion. Pretty brutal. Nash got beat up. His bodyguard got shot. But Eddie Nash was a rich and powerful man that did not uh, take too kindly to that. So he figured that John Holmes was in, in it because John Holmes was actually seen wearing one of his rings uh, a couple of days afterwards. And he had some people follow John Holmes. John Holmes, who was hanging around with this Wonderland gang who lived on Wonderland up off of Laurel Canyon. A group was sent in and what ended up happening was they committed one of the most violent and heinous murders on record at the time. And this is, you know, right, you know, TV's just become mainstream. We just really got into the full-time news. It was predated, obviously, CNN and the 24-hour news cycle. But TV was really the, the main sort of information for people. And what made these murders, four violent murders and one survivor. And it wasn't guns. The, the reason why it was so, I guess, memorable is because they just bludgeoned the hell out of these people with steel poles and and bats and all kinds of stuff. So it was very gruesome at the scene. And it captivated all of Los Angeles, if not the country, because they showed not the bodies, but they showed a lot of the, the scene there. And it was these very powerful images. So they obviously, um, you were like, who was involved? At first, they fingered John Holmes. He ended up, because they found his palm print at the scene, somehow his attorney convinced the jury that he had let the people in but did not take place in the murders. Um, there were no witnesses, of course. So then the next investigation centered on Nash, the promoter, because he had the motive. Now, when he went to trial the jury would have convicted him except for one holdout. So the jury ended up acquitting him or not acquitting hung jury 11 to one. And it turned out that 20 years later, that juror admitted that they had been bribed by Eddie Nash. Oh they took God. a $50,000 $50, bribe at the time to not convict him. So, I mean, you can kind of say, all right, we, we know who did it. Nash probably wasn't involved in it himself. I mean, again, millionaire club promoter, all that kind of stuff, but he was definitely in my opinion, involved in the case. But technically, that's still an unsolved murder that sort of like captivates the the imagination of L.A. And sort of, again, the dark history of Los Angeles is laden with a, with a lot of these weird cases. And I'll tell you, to tie back into my story, I was going to film the intro there, right? And Wonderland is this very hilly, narrow street in the canyons. And it's beautiful up there. And it's it's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't live there, but I also kind of, like that that area like i would like to go part it's a great place to like go party or you know go visit a friend or something you're you're in the canyon 
and it's a quiet street. It's a narrow street. And I'm going to film this intro in front of the house, right? I'm like, da, 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 40 years ago, one of these uh, gruesome murders and still captivates people to this day. And I don't get things right on the first shot all the time. So I'm doing like one, have to do it again, do another one, have to do it again. All I hear after about the third take, this woman on the balcony of that home is like, come on, do you really need to do this? And, <laughs> and again, this was, so this was actually the first one that I had filmed and I had in the back of my mind, again, that sort of karma thing where I'm like, oh, great. Now this yeah. is like, you know, and I felt terrible, but then, and maybe this is just self-justification, but I was like, you know what? She didn't buy that house, not knowing what happened there. You, you, especially in California, you have to disclose, you know, debts and, and homicides in a house. So I'm like, whoever lived there, either lived there because the house was at a steep discount because nobody wanted to live there after what had happened or they were kind of into the fact that this historical granted negative historical thing had happened there. So it was sort of a, an interesting story. And at the time I come home and I'm like, man, do I really even want to do this piece? This is going to be hanging over my head. Obviously I ended up doing it and, and published it. But what's funny is to this day, you can see her on the balcony in the <laughs> opening scene that I had shot, you know, before she had said anything. So that, that's kind of I, I bet you that was your last take, huh? <laughs> you Dude, abso absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> pressure was on. Yeah, and that's what I love about your videos because I've heard about the Wonderland and, you know, I knew a little bit about it, but, you know, you forget or you don't know all the details. So you can really get like this fascinating LA history in a really concise and entertaining uh, manner. Um, like you said, that's a little dark. Um, that's not most of your videos. Most of your <laughs> videos are like historic or, um, or food related, which I love. You just talked about how you had worked with Portos and uh, Pink's, two classics. But um, I wanted to see if you can tell us, you know, any story of your choice, but a classic Los Angeles or Southern California um, uh, food history. One of my favorite, and this one hasn't been published yet. I'm kind of holding on to this one because it's, definitely has a cult following, is King Taco. And now I'm, again, from the San Fernando Valley. So the closest one to me is in Glendale. I, to be honest, I hadn't been there until my 20s and I'd always heard about it. And look, it's good. Jonathan Gold, the famous LA Times culinary writer, RIP, he, had, he said that King Taco's tacos are a solid B which is like, okay, so big deal. Why is it so legendary? Well, kind of the interesting thing about that is that the founder, Raul Martinez, um, he immigrated from Mexico in 1969 with 12 pesos. Him and his wife had 12 pesos. They get to Tijuana, they're out of money. And they were like, geez, we, we come all this way. They're deep from the uh, central Mexico. I think Mexico city proper. And they were having this conversation. Do we go back? Do we stay here? Somebody overheard them, bought them the bus ticket to get them across the border. They settle in Los Angeles, find their way as many immigrants do. Four years later, he's playing soccer in MacArthur Park. He's hungry after a game. And he's like, man, there's, there's no like food vendors. Back in Mexico City, you have food vendors lying in the streets. They're around the parks, blah, blah, blah. He starts bringing his own little like hibachi type grill situation, starts making carne asada after the after the soccer games and little by little people start lining up and they're like hey can, can we buy some carne asada and he's you know making them into tacos and he's like you know this is this is a little business here but this is where it gets significant after he's doing that for a few months he's like maybe i should make this an actual business he buys an ice cream truck outfits and converts the ice cream truck into a taco truck wow. and parks it outside this bar 
and does $70 in business. And again, 1974, $70 in a night, um, especially for a newly minted immigrant is like a pretty big deal. And all of a sudden the taco truck is born. And now there had been like, quote unquote, roach coaches. And, you know, there were actually tamale carts at the turn of the century, but he is credited as the inventor of the taco truck in 1974. Within six months, he had been successful enough to open the first brick and mortar location, King Taco. And then now to this day, they have 23 locations. The first one was in Cypress Park, by the way. But now to this day, there's 23 King Tacos. And it's funny, my wife is from Mexico. Her parents immigrated in the 70s and 80s. And they literally have stories about going to King Taco and like, that's the place to be. And that was the first real taco. And and again, to, to tie in John Gold, it's like, yeah, they're tacos. Sure, you could get tacos like that pretty much anywhere in LA now. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was more the Tito's tacos where it's like the crunchy shelled taco with the yellow cheddar cheese and the iceberg lettuce. That's what people in LA really knew tacos as. And King Taco was the first one to kind of bring that soft, warm, homemade tortilla with the meat inside and additional point of interest is he's also credited with bringing Al Pastor to Los Angeles, which again is one of my favorite meats to have inside a taco. But it's it's fairly significant in my mind that he was the the first taquero in a city that now, again, spearheaded the entire food truck craze, you know, with Roy Choi and, and Kogi in 2008 once social media took off. But this guy and King Taco are actually credited with with being the first taco truck. So I think that that's pretty significant and fun for me to kind of report on that one. Wow, that's yeah, that's fascinating because um, I had the same opinion as um, Gold. I went to King Taco because I heard so much about it, and I thought it was okay. It's pretty good taco, but now knowing the history of like how that kind of kicked off this whole thing in Los Angeles, it, it and, makes and, sense why it's such a big deal, like why, why people are revered by King Taco. And that's what I love, and I don't want to. I don't want to talk too much. I apologize. But one thing too about doing these histories is it makes me appreciate these places, even like Taco Bell, Taco Bell. But like, no, to know the story of how, you know, Taco Bell. It was a burger place, and then um, what was his name? George Glenn Bell. He saw that there was this place selling tacos across the street that always had a line around the block. And he's like, no, I want to do that. And that turned into this multinational, huge worldwide um, corporation. And like, yes, we think of like Taco Bell or McDonald's, um, whatever, Carl's Jr., any of these places like, oh, these are big corporate sellout places. But no, they have really cool little Los Angeles histories. And now you pass by a Panda Express, whatever the case may be. And you're like, no, that that started in L.A. Yeah. as one location. And that's really cool, man. Like, so. Yeah, that's that's LA a whole nother. Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast is just talking about these franchises that have come out of Southern California. Like like you said, McDonald's, Carl's Jr., In-N-Out. I mean, all these huge, huge. And, and, and you know, back then, people weren't um, before talking. Taco Bell people weren't on a mainstream national level talking about tacos. You know, it was, it was more like burgers and, and pizza at that time. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So Evan, let's get into back into your account because like you said, you've only been uh, doing the accounts since the beginning of the year and you're really getting a lot of traction here, not just on social media, but outside of social media. You were just recently on Ryan Seacrest's show where they interviewed you and a couple other media platforms like this. So it looks like it's going in the right direction, but best case scenario, and I want you to be as optimistic as possible here. Where would you like to see it go the next three or five years? Um, LA in a minute. Man, what a question. 
honestly, I would love to do this full time. That would be the dream to just drive around to, to, to plan, you know, my little histories or episodes and be able to drive around film, have the time to do the research because I do have a full-time job and career and family as well. And, you know, I spend 90% of my, my free moments working on this, but to actually have a career where this would be the career. I mean, they say, you know, you love what you do. You'll never be able to do a, a work a day in your life. This is truly what I love doing. Every time I'm out here every week, every Saturday morning, every Sunday morning, you know, my son doesn't have a game. I'm like, all right, where are we going today? Let's, let's get some of these going. And we become tourists in our own city, which is really fun. And I would want, however that is, whether it would be endorsements or sponsored or a TV show or whatever the case may be, make enough money where this could be my actual career. That would be the ideal situation. Yeah, that would be incredible. And I and I think you're on your way there. You like you said, you just need the right sponsorship. I, I mean it, it just has so many potential opportunities. So we're pulling for you, man. We'd love to see you just do this full time and make those videos even better than they are now, which is hard to imagine. But um Appreciate all right. So I got one last question for you, and I'm excited to ask you this question. I ask all my guests this question, but you're from Los Angeles, you grew up here, spent your whole life here. So this might be a little tough, but I wanted to see if you could take us through your perfect day in Los Angeles sure. from waking up to going to bed. What would you do and where would you go to make it your dream day in L.A.? Funny question. I often discuss this with my wife in from the perspective of when you have guests in town from out of town, they're like, hey, I'm going to be in L.A. for a weekend. What do we do? And I'm like, oh, there's so much to do, so much to see. And you can't just go to, you know, downtown or wherever it is, like in in another city how do you wrangle in this massive geographic area and try to get all the highlights and pack them into one day so assuming that i really just have have one day and i have to kind of limit it down my day would go something like this i would start off with my la times it's it's my um it's my routine and i do want to know you know did i miss anything yes obviously i know internet and twitter you're up to speed but the la times does some good reporting, LA centric, just see if there's anything I missed, right? Catch up on my LA stuff. I need a workout or else I feel like highly high anxiety. So I go to LA fitness. I don't want to sound corny or funny, but there, but there was an LA, there was an LA, I mean, LA in a minute episode on LA fitness where that's actually a really interesting business in the sense that number one started as a racquetball club in the 1980s. Um, but number two, their owners are shrouded in mystery. There have only been two known photos in the entire history of this nine figure company of the owner, no published interviews. It's wow. very, very weird and mysterious, their background, but it's also like a community club. I know they're not fancy, but so I get my workout in. So LA fitness now get back home. Ideal day. You say I would probably go to Western bagel, the LA originator bagels. I know they're not the, the best bagels around, but they were LA's first. They brought the, the New York bagel style to LA. So I go to the Western bagel, get myself some bagels, probably do my episode on there because I still haven't done Western bagel yet. Get into the history of that. They have their factory right there in Van Nuys and then start the day officially uh, a destination drive, I call it. Again, we like being a tourist in our own city. So we we kind of will base everything around food, right? Where are we going to eat? Where do you eat from there? We'll determine which 
locales I'm going to, I'm going to film. So at this point, drive for a little while, I'm going to probably go to San Gabriel Valley for some dim sum or like East LA for some chilaquiles, right? Love the, again, one of the beauties of this city is just so many excellent, diverse cuisines, right? Depending on the mood, San Gabriel Valley, you do a history of, give me a rose mead. Like what's the history of that? Why is the Chinese community so strong out there? Or in East LA, you do a bell or a downy or just find some monument, you know, eat a great meal, film a couple intros. And the best way to see LA, going back to my original point, is via car. This was the first metropolis that was built out for the car. And yes, nobody likes being in traffic, but there's no better way to get around and see all these areas and all these different communities that LA has to offer. So go and do some some stuff on the east side, if you will. Um, Finish off the east side with a picnic at Greystone Mansion. Um, Not sure if you know about that. Greystone Mansion, beautiful place, beautiful grounds. I'm going to be doing a uh, story on that uh, soon, but very historical. A lot of episodes, I mean, a lot of episodes, a lot of film uh, featured there. Um, My son could run around, have some fun. Then it's time for lunch. I will say that my favorite restaurant in LA to this day is Jitlada, and that's in East Hollywood. It's a Thai place. I'm sure some people have more favorite Thai restaurants, but that's still my favorite. Love that. Get a nice spicy Thai lunch out there. Film something like Thai Town, which is close by, or Hollywood Forever Cemetery or the Greek Theater, Griffith Park. Again, just trying to get a couple of the LA Minute intros in. Exposing my son to these places, which again, he doesn't always appreciate. He's eight right now. But again, we're like, dude, this is important. You get to see your city. You get to see all these like amazing historic places. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm chalking up some Alien in a Minute episodes. Then since we're out near Hollywood, I would go grab a martini at Musso and Frank's, one of their famous sidecar martinis. I know it's, you know, a little little corny, but the vibe in there with the red booths and the waiters in the tuxedos. And I mean, they basically give you two martinis for the price of one super iced down, just a, a fun vibe, old hundred plus year old restaurant, oldest restaurant in Hollywood, just a great atmosphere after that head to a Dodger game. Again, huge, <laughs> huge baseball fan. There's no better place than to really feel the city. In my opinion, you get the enthusiasm. You want to talk diversity. You have people of all races, ages, persuasion, socioeconomic classes, and everybody's pulling in the same direction, rooting for the Dodgers nestled in the hills with those beautiful views. And just the stadium is both classic and gorgeous after a Dodger game yet again, time to eat, head to downtown. I love this resurgence of downtown. It's still not a, not a real downtown, you know, compared to some other major cities, but it's, it's growing and it's cool. And the food scene is there for me. I try to check out Bestia or Damien, um, which are two of my favorite restaurants. Just get, just get one dish. And, and like, for me, I'm not eating these full meals. Cause I know we're eating and my wife and I do this. We'll eat four or five, six times a day, but just <laughs> to try a little bit here, a little bit there and just get to go see a different part of the city and just people watch. And then after that, probably close to 1130, 12 o'clock time for bed, head home. But you know what? On the way home, you got to stop in one more L.A. spot. Give me Tommy's. Give me Fat Burger. Both from <laughs> L.A., both with awesome backstories. I mean, you're you're talking about the ideal day in L.A. What a better way to end up. I mean, and then go home and, 
and hit the head on the pillow. But that would be like a beautiful, awesome day in LA. Where we I would off. expect no less from you, Evan. That was an amazing answer with so many great suggestions. But what I really loved about your answer is, like you said earlier, uh, when you love what you do, because you threw in a lot of LA in a minute uh, filming on that perfect day. So, so that's really awesome. It's fun, man. It's fun. It gets me to learn because some people ask, Hey, are you a historian? Are you a history teacher? No, I just like doing research and I have this insatiable curiosity and genuine passion for my city. And I want to learn everything. There is even streets, Ventura Boulevard, Florence, Melrose, like, like what is the history? How did these become the preeminent streets? Why, why are these neighborhoods, you know, so historic? And it just, it, it always just, increases my my love of the city everything that i learn and you know sometimes there's a lot of negative things that go down too like chinatown i had no idea about the 1871 chinatown massacres and that's disastrous and tragic and going back to your love for the for the darker stories like griffith or um you know again oj or whatever the case that is all part of the history and that package is what has made la what it is today for good or for bad for better or for worse you got to take it for life and i am here for the long haul man i love it yeah and that's that love and passion is what makes your videos so entertaining where can people go if they want to check them out for themselves what's the best place to go to find la in a minute videos <sighs> tiktok i'm at evan lovett e-v-a-n-l-o-v-e-t-t -T. instagram i'm at la in a minute and I did also launch a YouTube channel, which is also Evan Lovett, although I will be changing that to LA in a minute, though they say I can't do that until I have a thousand subscribers or something like that. But um, right now, TikTok's the main one, though I do like Instagram's platform, to tell you the truth. It's very clean, just feels a little bit more structured. Even though I'm probably more successful on TikTok, Instagram is LA in a minute. And that's probably the easiest for everybody to remember. So follow me on Instagram, if you will. All right. And then from Instagram, you can find his other social media platforms. Evan, thank you so much for coming on. You shared so many amazing secrets about LA and I can't wait to check out the rest of your videos. I've been binge watching them. Thanks a lot for coming on, buddy. Thank you. Life Hacks LA is awesome. Stefan, you are the man. I really appreciate being on here. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. What's going on guys? Welcome back and thanks again to Evan from LA in a Minute for that awesome conversation where he shared so much cool history about Los Angeles. For me personally, it was so great talking to Evan because him and I are completely simpatico when it comes to our love for Los Angeles and sharing it with other people. This city has lots of issues and there's plenty of places to go and learn more about that and also vent about that if you want to. But it's also true that this is one of the most amazing cities on earth and we both have a similar mission to share that with others in a positive and constructive way. Now, LA in a Minute has only been around since the start of the year of 2022, but it's gotten super popular super quick. I'm not even sure if we talked about it in the interview, but he's been featured on some pretty big programs like recently on Ryan Seacrest's radio show and others like that. So if you wanna see why so many LA lovers love this account, go check him out. You can find him on TikTok or Instagram. Just do a search on either platform for LA in a minute. Okay, on to my hack for this episode. So I thought about what I was gonna do with this, and I think I love Evan's videos so much that I'm gonna try to do my best Evan impersonation. So this is to honor Evan, to honor LA in a minute, I'm gonna do my best impersonation. I know this is gonna be hard because it's gonna be one take, but let's uh, do an LA hackers version of LA in a minute. 
Now, I'm not sure if Evan has done the subject or not, but I want to give you some facts about one of LA's most recognizable landmarks, and that's the Hollywood sign. All right, so here we go. I'm going to do my best Evan, my best LA in a minute impersonation. All right, here we go. Here goes nothing. What's up? This is Stefan, and this is your LA in a minute. And I'm here in front of the world famous Hollywood sign. The Hollywood sign, originally called the Hollywood Land Sign, is an American landmark and cultural icon overlooking Hollywood, Los Angeles. It is situated on Mount Lee in the Beechwood Canyon area of the Santa Monica Mountains. It spells out the word Hollywood in 45 foot tall white capital letters and they're 350 foot lo feet long. It was originally created in 1923 as a temporary advertisement for a local real estate development, but due to increasing recognition, the sign was left up. It was replaced in 1978 with a more durable all steel structure. Among the most well-known landmarks in both California and the United States, the sign makes frequent appearances in popular culture, particularly when it's establishing shots for films and television programs set in or around Hollywood. Signs of similar style but spelling different words are frequently seen as parodies. The Hollywood Chamber of Commerce holds trademark rights to the Hollywood sign. Because of its widespread recognizability and its visibility from many points across the LA basin, the sign has been a frequent target of pranks and vandalism across the decades. It has since undergone restoration, including the installation of a security system to deter mischief. The sign is protected and promoted by the nonprofit Hollywood Sign Trust, while its site and the surrounding land area are part of Griffith Park. Visitors can hike to the sign from the Bronson Canyon entrance to Griffith Park or from the Griffith Observatory. There is also a trailhead near the Lake Hollywood Reservoir outside of Griffith Park, and although not an access point in itself, there is a popular scenic vista point around Lake Hollywood Park near the trailhead. This is Stefan, and this has been your LA in a Minute. All right, guys, that was much harder than I thought it was going to be. But uh, those are some facts about the Hollywood sign. I'm sure if Evan already doesn't have a video on the Hollywood sign, it's, it's better than that. And if he doesn't have one, he'll be making one soon. That'll be better than that. But I just wanted to do my best crack at it. So I think I'll let Evan stick to the L.A.s in minutes while I stick to the L.A. hacks. But that was a lot of fun. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will talk to you again soon. Take care.